comes wide of the cross, and DK was there! Junior Urso, last man back, pumped off. Junior Urso leaves him in his way, and he scores! One end of the field, the other end. And Orlando City have doubled their lead. What's he going to do? Michelle making the run. Benji Michelle, can he slam the door shut instead of pass? And it's touched in the net. Antonio Carlos on his return from injury. And Orlando leaves it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. It happened again. Orlando City have won and remain unbeaten in their last nine games. We are once again in uncharted territory. It keeps getting better and better for the Lions as now they head into their final eight games of the MLS regular season. My name's Austin David, here with Gavin Eubank. We are the Orlando Soccer Show, and we are here to discuss the 3-1 victory over the New York Red Bulls for Orlando City. Gavin, you watch the game how you feeling after all of that? I'm feeling very good. You know, it's it's fun to be at a point where Orlando City is playing constantly now. And I am excited to watch the games. I'm happy that I watched the game because, you know, good things happened. It's just overall, like, how do you not have a smile on your face right now when you think about... Orlando City and what's going on. And not just on, on that, I must also throw my obligatory Everton are also good tweet in here. Yeah, you, so you would have there's to, that. You would have to throw that in there, wouldn't you? So all in all, I'm just having a great time right now on both sides of the pond. Yeah, it no, definitely a, a great game for uh, the Lions and for your, for your Everton boys. Um, uh, Chelsea did okay but they were really much expected to. Uh, the Everton ladies also are just killing it, and Claire Emsley, who's on loan from the Pride, scored two goals this weekend in a 6 nothing win over West Ham. Did indeed. Big win for those uh, folks. And we'll talk about the Pride in just a bit, but Orlando City, one goal from Daryl DK, one from Junior Urso, and the third from Antonio Carlos. Daryl DK, uh, first start in quite a while. Tesho Akindele was out hurt, so he steps back into the starting lineup, and 24 minutes into the game, he gets an assist from number 24, Kyle Smith, which was his first ever MLS point, by the way. First uh, contribution on a goal. And uh, we'll talk about Kyle in just a bit because he had a fantastic game. But DK, 24th minute, uh, fairly uncontested header to put Orlando up one nothing, and that's after the first 20 or so minutes of Orlando kind of looking on the back foot a bit, you know, the Red Bulls have that that stylistic press that they they tend to deploy against teams, and for the first 15 minutes, it really looked to unsettle Orlando to the point where it, it didn't look like they were going to be able to to get anything out of the game. I mean, their first attack within the game was like 10 minutes in, like they didn't cross into the final third uh, until they got a corner off a, a long ball. And uh, there were a lot of pinged back and forth balls within the midfield, just, you know, back and forth and back and forth again until, you know, Orlando was able to kind of settle things down. They they held possession, but couldn't really cross midfield. Like every time they did, the press would be on for New York. They caused a, a, quite a bit of trouble for Orlando. And uh, there were a, a point very early in the game where they probably should have scored through Brian White uh, on a on a very good counterattack but luckily for Orlando he missed the netting and and went into the side netting and game could have been very different from that point on but as we all know goals matter in this game misses don't and Orlando was the one who scored first which changed the complexity of the game Uh, they were able to take that one nothing lead into halftime then five minutes into the second half Junior Urso often assist from Chris Mueller was able to get past the high line of the Red Bulls, basically body off his defender and put it into the top of the net past David Jensen to make it 2 nothing. It looked like it was going to be a bit of a cushion for Orlando. Then four minutes later, Kamal Miller turns the ball over in his own defensive third. An accidental touch, basically an accidental assist. Royer accidentally touched the ball uh, off a 1-2 to Florian Vallot. 
who ended up finishing it past the defender. I mean, it was probably the luckiest touch, accidental touch you could have because it put it in the perfect spot for Volo to finish. Uh, and that was only four minutes after Urso had scored. So it was back to a one-goal game. Orlando was basically bunkering for the second half. They didn't have any forward depth, so once they subbed out Daryl DK in the 79th minute, they kind of just said, all right, we're going to throw everybody back behind the ball, and, which they did. And they even put in Antonio Carlos and Alex Dijon for good measure in the last uh, couple minutes of the game to make sure that they could see it out. And uh, it just so happened that Antonio Carlos decided, hey, I'm going to make a run in the 95th minute because uh, it's not like we need a goal. We probably should you know, defend, but hey, I'm going to make this run because nobody's expecting it. And to be fair, nobody, nobody Very reminiscent of Aureli and Colin coming up and scoring a goal, and you're like, where did that guy come from? Yeah, like why is he making that run? Oh, wait, no, don't. Oh, yes, yes, great. He scored. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, Nani gets it off to uh, to Benji Michel, who came in at halftime uh, for Mauricio Pereira. We'll talk about that issue in a second. But uh, heads up play from Benji, sees the run of... Uh, Carlos on the far side, passes it over, slots it in, originally ruled offside, but unlike in past years, VAR goes in the way of Orlando City. They get the third goal. Everybody celebrates the final whistle goals within seconds of the restart, and Orlando win 3-1. to one. Like you said, Orlando comes out, and I think this is in two parts because the Red Bulls are going to play their style and you're going to want to let them do what they do until you find those openings. But at the same time, Orlando is in this game missing two very critical pieces of their attack in Jamotinho and Juan. So that leaves them kind of, I don't want to say a limited, but to an extent there they're are so much less, they, they are less dynamic in their attack. They mm-hmm. sit back, like you said, they let the Red Bulls press, they let the Red Bulls do that, you know, kind of push them up the field. And then they just wait for their opportunity to attack. You know, the first time that Orlando got a touch in the box was Daryl DK putting his head on the ball in the 23rd minute. That was the first time Orlando City touched the ball in the final in the Red Bulls penalty area. So it just kind of tells you how patient they were being, waiting for that opportunity. And right before that goal happened, I was getting ready to make a note on Twitter that Orlando was not really getting into a rhythm offensively because they were just kind of sitting back. They weren't getting forward without being able to push the wings because they don't really do that much with Kamal Miller and um, Kyle Smith isn't obviously who on. So you, you lose that same sort of effectiveness out there. So when they can't do that, they're kind of limited on what they can do on the wings. Nani can can dance around and he can try to get passes and do stuff like that. But they, they go over there and they double team, they triple team, they limit those options. So Orlando couldn't do much. And then they get one counter attack break where there's limited, there's wide open space. They're, moving the ball across the field, and then bing, bang, boom, there's Kyle Smith hitting Daryl DK in the box. So Yeah, and, and they, really almost, good... they almost scored that second one with Chris Mueller yeah, about exactly. like two or three minutes later. Yeah, uh, just overall a very, a very solid approach. I mean, like, you can look at it as, all right, Orlando's at home. They are unbeaten in eight straight, and now it looks like the Red Bulls might be outplaying them on their home park, but they're just – playing calculated, patient soccer, and it turns out that it benefited them for them largely in the end. I, I want to pull up a quote here from Oscar after the game against the Red Bulls. He said, uh, and I quote, we were patient. We let the game accommodate. We didn't let, we didn't want to change anything. We let the game plan. We were faithful to our style and our model and the way we do things. And I think it's lovely. The guys were having... Uh, much, much better control of the game, and that's when we scored the goals. And the game just happened due to the patience during the game. So like you just said, just letting the game kind of play out, kind of feeling their way through. Orlando City teams in the past would not be able to do that. Once a team, like if they game plan for a certain way and the team doesn't play that certain way, then they're they're screwed. <laughs> they because they they have no idea what they're going to do but this team is adaptable when they see a team that is not what they prepared for they adapt to it and that's a mixture of having very crafty rookies but also very um learned veterans 
guys that have been around that have seen things you know having those pieces together adds up to being able to kind of coexist as a team and being able to adapt on the fly rather than just crumpling and falling apart once the team starts throwing three or four guys at you you saw it a little bit with Rodrigo Schlegel where like he got rushed a little bit and you could see like the pace of the game once the Red Bulls started to press higher it looked like they were trying to speed up Orlando and it worked on occasion you know speeding them up causing them to turn the ball over and again the early part of the game that's what was happening but to Orlando's credit they settled themselves down the veterans kind of you, you could see the veterans try and calm the ball down and and try and play their game normally Orlando is very methodical with their buildup but when you have a team that's pressing as high as the Red Bulls are and as quick as they are you have to be able to think quickly and on your toes and this was a this was probably the biggest test for Orlando just in terms of cohesively playing a 90 minute game because we haven't seen a team press the way that the Red Bulls have for a full 90 minute game this season and I think we've seen teams sit back because they know Orlando is a very potent attack and we've seen teams press not to the level that the Red Bulls have but have still pressed Orlando and and tried to win the ball back but not to the level that the Red Bulls did this past weekend so I think now that we've seen that Orlando's able to handle a team like that it speaks volumes to what they can accomplish the rest of the season it does, and I think that this also, it's kind of interesting because, you know, where Orlando tends to struggle historically against those top teams in the Eastern Conference, the Red Bulls are kind of that one team where it's very evenly matched. I mean, going back the last couple seasons, they've split the season series with the Red Bulls each of the times. The Red Bulls have won one, Orlando City's won one, and this obviously is not the same New York Red Bulls team that was so successful under Jesse Marsh with the same kind of, they try to play the same style of soccer, but they're not, they're just not as good at it now. But Orlando has always been able to kind of figure out how to break it down. They've always been patient. They, they frustrate the Red Bulls and then they find their opportunities to counter and score those goals. And that's what we saw against the, against them on, in this one on Saturday. And like you said, you know, they they couldn't necessarily find opportunities for possession because of the lack of players that they had they couldn't they couldn't do the thing so they had to look for those opportunities they had to get the turnover they had to to quickly play from the back they couldn't be patient in their buildups they had to do things at a little bit more of a compromise to what they're used to doing but they knew that going in and so because of that they were able to plan ahead for it and then execute on that on that behalf it's funny you mentioned like previous times Orlando has played the Red Bulls because it takes me back to 2015 when they beat them 5-2 at Red Bull Arena mm-hmm. and every time they like the last couple goals on that game were off the counter and that was Kaká running the counter this time it was Mauricio Pereira who was a part of the first goal at the very least um but that was probably the the thing that opened up the the rest of the game for Orlando is just going out in front and being up one nothing but for the first 45 minutes, uh, Mauricio Pereira was man of the match by a country mile. And then he done it, he did his hamstring. And uh, Oscar said after the game that it wasn't quite a, uh, a pull or anything. It was precautionary because of how many games they have coming up, which completely understandable. And the fact that he didn't mention Mauricio in his injury report earlier today when he did his press conference probably says that he's available they may take more precaution and just go ahead and rest him against Atlanta or have him come off the bench, uh, which I could totally see happening. But considering how thin the team is right now at the midfield, you still may end up seeing him regardless. Or maybe you see a a, a starting role from David Loetta, who made his debut uh, the other night after Junior Urso took a uh, knock to the head, which also Junior was not mentioned in an injury report from Oscar. So... Hopefully, uh, he was taken out for precautionary reasons, and hopefully it didn't turn out into anything. But Urso, along with Andres Perea and Oscar Pereja, made the team of the week. Uh, so that's another notable thing. Can we talk about that Bears goal for just another second? Like, the guy is nicknamed the Bear, and he literally powered his way up the field, just shoved the defender off of him, and mm-hmm. then blasts a shot. 
that is just perfectly placed. I mean, like that was quintessential Junior Ursa right there on display. Mm-hmm. You know, it was funny in the game against Dallas. He was talking about that chance that he missed, and uh, he was saying, "You know what? Next time, I'm going to put more power on it, and I'm not going to miss again." <laughs> yeah. Hey, he, 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 you know, I <laughs> made up for he it. He did it. He did do yeah. it. He's a man I'll of his word. That, that's integrity right there. Yep. Uh, and the pass from Chris Mueller. Chris Mueller did not have the greatest of games, but he had that assist that sprung Junior. Uh, probably should have had two goals himself, uh, but you, sometimes you have those games where you just can't seem to find the back of the net. Uh, he um, was still effective all over the pitch in different ways, uh, and that's what you need to do sometimes, even Fox. if you're not scoring. I th- I'm pretty sure Fox mentioned this on the game, but I think Chris Mueller has the most goals and assists in the league this season, correct? Total? Yes. I know Diego Rossi now has 12 goals, and oh. Pozuelo has nine assists. Oh, yeah. Pozuelo, Pozuelo has, has seven, seven goals, goals, nine yeah. assists. Okay. Well, so. Mueller's up there. I think it's, what, six and five, seven and six? It's something like that. Um, Who, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, he's seven and six. Okay. And so just under a thousand minutes played. So he's almost crazy enough. If he plays if he plays four or five more games, he'll surpass his total minutes from last season. Yeah. He only played thirteen hundred minutes last season. He's already up to almost a thousand. I think it's I think it's fair to say that Pozuelo is probably the leader in the clubhouse for MVP this year, but Mueller's in the, he's in the conversation. He's top five. I don't uh, know. Yeah. Without He's being biased, I, I, w- I, I would fair. say the the only thing that's holding Chris back is his consistency. Yeah. But I do want to mention something kind of crazy. Because as Chris Mueller goes, Orlando City goes. right? His seven goals and six assists uh, contribute to 13 goal contributions this season. In yeah. every game that Chris Mueller has started, that he has not registered a goal... Or an assist, Orlando City has not won. That is, you know, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Where Chris Mueller is the key to Orlando City's offense. Yep. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's not kind of. But it's just such a crazy stat because if you go back and look, right, he started the first game of the season against RSL. No goal or assist, draw. Right? Mm -hmm. He started. Uh, July 20th against Philadelphia. Started the game, no goal or assist, draw. Played against Nashville, was subbed on, no goal or assist, draw. Started against Atlanta, no goal or assist, draw. Started Started against Dallas, no goal or assist, draw. The only game that was the outlier when it comes to subbed or started was that 2-1 win against SKC. But the starting role still holds firm. Every game that he has started, if he does not register a goal or assist, they draw. Every time, without fail. I mean, surely like things like this just have to be coincidence, but at the same time. there, there There's always some sort of truth within coincidence like this. Now, these are only MLS games. I haven't actually looked at this stat when it comes to the MLS's back tournament knockout rounds. But also, if you think about it... How much did Chris play? What was the game he got hurt in? It's a good question. Because I don't think he did much for the rest of the tournament after... Was it? I think it was the Philly game. Early in that game was when he got hurt. Well, he played 87 minutes in the Philly game. Maybe it was Montreal then. It could have been Montreal, which they ended up winning one nothing. But he didn't. Right. He started, but didn't play the full game. The point of the matter is, in MLS games, if he starts and does not register a goal or assist in the game, they draw. Yeah, simple as that. Just it, it's a crazy stat. It really is. And again, this past game, he got a goal or he got an assist, and they won. Right, that four one win against Chicago, goal and assist, they win. Miami two one win and assist. The 3-1 win against Atlanta, he starts, goal and assist. Nashville, goal and assist. They win, they win. It's wild. It really is. Yeah, 
So yeah, as as Orlando goes, Chris Mueller goes, and vice versa. Now let's talk about the back. We mentioned Kamal Miller and Kyle Smith prior in the show, but I wanted to bring them back into the forefront and talk a little bit about them. Kamal Miller is how do I put this? He's good until he's not. He has a good like 50, 55 minutes of play where he is he's playing within the game. He's he's doing what is need to be done. He's playing well defensively. He's shutting down the wingers. And then he just has this one moment where it, it just it always seems to happen to him. Where he gives up positioning or he fails to make a clearance or there's just one one thing that happens that just causes disaster for Orlando. And, and and speaking of other crazy stats, in every game that Kamal Miller has started, they have not held a clean sheet. Yeah, um, outlying the game against Dallas where he played 67 minutes, it's... That, I don't, sorry, again, when he again, starts. I don't, when he starts, I every don't, game he has started. I don't necessarily... I'm not going to tie it to Kamal Miller because... Even in the games that he does not start, Orlando has not been a team that is getting a lot of shutouts this year. But the games that he does start, you can point to goals specifically being attributed to mistakes that he has made. Except for the game against Chicago. Yes. that That's the one outlier. And he only played 45 minutes in that one. Yeah, that's fair. And they scored very early in the second half because of a penalty. So he was not on the field when Chicago got their one goal. But you could argue that some of the goals that were called back were with him on the field. That doesn't count, obviously. So the one outlier would be the Chicago game. But game against Red Bulls, he started. And, uh, well, you saw what happened. Uh, the game against Atlanta in the 1-1 draw, he had the turnover in the midfield that ended up leading to the chance. And also, he got kind of dunked on in the box by Adam John. Uh, then a game against Nashville, another issue where he it was his first game starting in quite a long time. Uh, he just kind of lost the mark a little bit. Other than that, he uh, he hasn't played very much. You know, Kyle Smith has basically kind of taken him on his his role on the left side when Huan is healthy. Now that he's not, he's relied upon a little bit more. But it's frustrating because Kamal Miller has been good. Like I said, he's been good until he's not. And that shift he put against Red Bulls was a good 79-minute shift. Except for that one instance where he he gave up that that ball. Yeah, I mean, ultimately when Giammatini comes back, he's the starting left back. And you're not going to see much of Kamal Miller after that. It's going to be a long time before that happens, though, because... Not only is Zhao not 100% practice-wise, but he also has to get back into match fitness. Yeah. And you, you, you can't loan him out because the OCB season is about to end. So what do you do at that point? How do you get him the match fitness that he needs to get back into the fold? Do you just bring him on as a sub a couple times? And see yeah, I mean, when, get you back look into at, when you look at the the schedule and how condensed it is you're, there's going to be opportunities the squad's going to have to rotate i don't think i don't think oscar's going to have any problem finding minutes to give him when you're playing saturday sunday or saturday wednesday sunday you know over the next a few times over the next few weeks before the season's over yeah the and the big thing now with all the injuries and the the two call-ups for pedro and sebas is the depth of this team and how it's going to be very much tested because currently there's no backup left back or right back because the backups are currently playing. There really isn't a a backup to the backup for the midfield because Andres Perea is usually the first man off the bench. You have well, I guess Adami it is Perea. fair to say, too, that once Juan comes back and he is more likely to be back within the next week or so, then that mm. would push Kyle Smith back over to left back. Correct. I would and say he that. has been playing well enough to continue to earn that starting spot. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Kyle real quick. Um, I, I wanted to bring up something that Evan Weston tweeted. 
Uh, he led the team in tackles, recoveries, had two interceptions, and his first ever assist in the game against the Red Bulls. And he had a challenge in the, I think, 81st minute where he got back on defense, knocked the ball out, and then the crowd started chanting his name. And um, I, I talked I talk to him about that after the game, just like what it was to kind of get the chance to the, the fans, you know, what it was like to experience that. And he was talking about just how he plays for the fans, he said. And I quote, at this level, we're all playing the game for the fans because we're all blessed to have the opportunity that we can play in front of so many people and that so many people may look up to one person on our team. Uh, Another fan or a young kid maybe looks up to another person on our team. Uh, It's such a rewarding feeling. And like I said, I feel blessed to be in this position that I'm in and I'm very grateful that I get to play in front of our fans and who enjoy watching the team play and that are happy. Yeah, who scored actually gave uh, Smith man of the match with a 7.8 rating. Um, yeah, I mean, highest, highest he did. He definitely put in a man of the match performance. Yeah, very good. Um, I, It's been interesting to watch his, I don't say growth or development, but as he's been with Orlando City, I think there was that obvious stigma when he first got here of, this is a USL guy. This is a guy that James O'Connor has brought along. Um, and it maybe took him a while to kind of become that reliable player that you can pull off the bench. But I think this season particularly, it might just be that he's playing more. He's playing more consistently. We're really starting to see a, a good, solid um, fullback coming out there for Orlando City. I mean, he's he's doing the job that he's being asked. He's not... Um, he's not doing it aggressively. He's not doing it underwhelmingly. He he plays good soccer and he gets the job done. That which is really the most you can ask for a guy in the the role that he has within the squad. Yeah, and, and funny enough, he was <laughs> Kyle was actually asked about James O'Connor and the difference between James and Oscar. And I'll, I'll read a little bit of what he said. He said that James is a great locker room, uh, great in the locker room at building chemistry amongst the team. And I think the main difference between them would be just our confidence and our style of play. Oscar has a particular way that he wants to play. He wants to be a possession-based team. And the way we play is different than the way we played last year. I think that shows on the field. We have the ball a lot. Our press is very good. And we know when to press. We're still learning when to press. Uh, you know, maybe when we should drop and get into shape. But I think it's very important because if you don't know when to press uh, and you don't know when to drop into your shape, then you leave uh, yourself vulnerable for the other team to score goals. And I found that incredibly interesting that he basically said, yeah, uh, under James, we kind of didn't know when to press and when not to press. But under Oscar, it's very clear what he wants. I think that's very evident when we watched... Orlando City last year, it just kind of felt like the tactical, um, the guidance was not there, or at least it wasn't there at a level that it should have been. And I don't want to sit here and knock on James O'Connor because, you know, we don't know what it's like in, in, inside his locker room. He was obviously very successful in USL, so he's obviously a very good coach. Um, the things that I've heard about him as a coach of Major League Soccer, however, have not been so glowing. And we, you know, to go up against the record of someone like Oscar Pereja, who's very detailed, who's very, you know, um, smart tactically. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly how to employ the guys that he has. Backs that statement up. Yeah, I just find it interesting that that Kyle was the one because he played for James for four years. Yeah, and I mean, it he, gives him a he, fair perspective to say that. It does. It, it It absolutely does. And it's also interesting to the fact that Kyle, you would think, would have been the one that would have been able to kind of employ James's tactics the best because he played it in Louisville. Like, he played that style. But it just shows James was trying to adapt to Orlando City rather than Orlando City adapting to James. Yeah, I and, was going to say. You've seen, that, you've seen that in the past where, you know, even Adrian and, and uh Jason Christ, they they all said, you know, we we had to adapt to the roster that we were given. Right. And with this roster for Oscar, it was almost tailored for Oscar because of Luis Muzi and the vision that he had. So I think that 
plays into the reason why they're being so successful right now is because the relationship between the GM and the head coach is coinciding so well. Mm -hmm. Because you've seen teams where they have GMs and head coaches going at each other's throats where like the GM wants to bring in this player, but the head coach doesn't want to play him or, you know, they're, they're, they're not I mean, on look the at same Atlanta United. That signing. team was not built for a guy like Frank DeBoer. It was built for a coach like Tata Martino. Exactly. And look Which how is why disastrous they were so successful. Exactly. Because they right they played Tata. They they built the team around Tata. They didn't build it for Frank DeBoer. Frank has a different style of tactic for a different roster, and it didn't work. I mean, even when Jason Christ got here, how long did we talk about he's got to bring in his guys, he's got to bring in his guys to play the diamond, to do this, to do that? Mm -hmm. He didn't have that roster to do what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that is also a position that Oscar Brea found himself in this year early on is I have to work with the group that is here. He's now obviously that pandemic break gave him plenty of time to mold them into what he wants. But from the get-go, it wasn't necessarily that. True. I would argue, though, that Luis Muzi started building this team for Oscar Pereja last year when James was still here. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Because I mean, definitely... if you think about some of the signings that they made, like Sebas Mendez seems like a very Luis Muzi kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mauricio Pereira, I mean, Oscar's talked about it. He he likes the fact that Mauricio is a classic number 10. He likes mm-hmm. to play with those classic number 10 players. So he seems like a very... Oscar Pereja kind of guy. If you look at some of the other players that they were able to to bring in, I mean, at this point, it's also it, it's worth saying it's speculative to say that. I mean, it may just be coincidental that this roster happened to be made to a guy like Oscar because obviously, right? No, you no, can't no. I'm, I'm just saying fired by it's, Cholos. No, 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 I'm not saying that it was built for Oscar Pereja. I'm saying that Luis Muzi and Oscar Pereja have the same vision for a team. Yeah. Okay. And Luis Muzi built it for Luis Muzi. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he also just Tesha. so happened to be he, that Oscar Perea. Right. Yeah, I guess is but like, Luis Muzi's perfect coach. Right. And and that's what he said in the past is that Luis Muzi said Oscar Perea is the perfect coach for me. So it just makes sense that this team is perfect for Oscar Perea. I mean, he brought in Tesho Akindele, who Oscar drafted. You know, he brought in a young player like Jao Moutinho, and we know the history with Oscar and, and young players. Especially you with Sebas Mendez as well. I want to put it just quick note that Fox mentioned on the broadcast, uh, talking about Daryl DK. Perea had a rookie of the year in Dylan Powers at Colorado. He had Tesho Akindali at FC Dallas. Now he might just have Daryl DK here mm-hmm. in Orlando City. And something else that somebody else mentioned on uh, one of the broadcasts. Apparently in 2018, during the MLS Super Draft, FC Dallas was trying to trade up to draft Chris Mueller. Really? Because Oscar wanted Chris Mueller. Huh. Just it's it's interesting. It's very yeah. interesting how things play out at the end of the day. And now we see Chris Mueller playing his best soccer, coincidentally mm-hmm. under Oscar Pereira. Right, and, and Oscar is is again, it, the players that are here are very. They're very eager to learn, and they want to play the style that Oscar has them playing, and. It, like Kyle Smith said, the direction is much clearer. The understanding of when to do what is much clearer. They have the vision, and that's something that the other coaches in the past have not had. So full credit to Oscar Pereja to, to everything that he has done with this this team because <laughs> considering the year that this has been in 2020, it's definitely not easy. Yeah. So... Anyways, um, I do want to talk about one last next man up kind of mentality here. Brian Rowe is going to be starting the next couple of games in goal for Orlando City, much like he did last year, uh, this time because Pedro Galese is off to international duty. Uh, But Rowe is a capable MLS player. I think that's fair to say, right? He played 32 games last year. Almost 3,000 minutes, the most he's ever played in his entire career. He had 110 saves. He only allowed 49 goals, which was, all things considered, pretty good for Orlando City compared to past years. Uh, his record was only 9-14-9, which not 
great, uh, but I would say that the back line in front of him is much better and much more cohesive. And, um, well, Oscar basically talked about how he was, you know, he was ready to go. He's he's a proven MLS player. He's won championships. He's done this. He's been there and done that. And he's the perfect guy to have on your bench because when Pedro leaves, which he did, he can slot right in and you don't lose as much. Um, we'll see if that statement stands. But, well, I'll, I'll let Brian actually talk about his his next man up mentality thing here. So here's Brian Rowe at training the other day. Um, I mean, we stick to the game plan that Oscar's laid out for us. I think um, we've shown that kind of next man up mentality. Uh, Oscar and the staff have shown full confidence in, in everybody in the squad. And I think they've, they've used guys and guys have done an amazing job to step up and fill in roles. And um, we're still playing really well. So looking forward to it. Fairly simple stuff for Brian there. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he's the kind of guy you want on your bench. And, and last season, I don't, um, I don't, I didn't have any complaints about Brian Rowe. I mean, coming into the season, if he was the starting goalkeeper, there, I probably would have been okay with it. Um, now that being said, Galese is obviously a huge upgrade over him, but we'll see. You know, I'm sure rust might be a factor, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it would have been nice to get him like a game somewhere just to kind of get him acclimated to a full 90 minutes, but it's a lot easier to kind of go out for a full 90 minutes and be a goalkeeper compared to a field player because the legs can get to you after a while compared to in goal where you just have to be ready when yeah. the ball comes in your area. Um, but yeah, so uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about before we talk about the next upcoming games is uh, injury updates. So Oscar talked a little bit about everybody from Mateus Is to everybody else that's currently hurt. Uh, kind of referenced this earlier in the show, but I'll let Oscar talk to you about what is going on with his team's injuries. Mateus is still doing a bunch of stuff with uh, doctors and medicals and reviewing some uh, testing and, and related to his body. So has gone uh, uh, more than we thought. And uh, this moment is the only thing to report, you know, that we're waiting for the finals. And they want to go meticulously with with, with everything. So that's, that's what is happening and taking too much time. So we are under that protocol with Mateus, uh, with the other boys. Uh, it, you know, it's a day-by-day thing with them, especially now with the proximity of the games. Uh, Joao isn't ready, uh, but Uy is getting. Uh, they're getting participation with the, with, the, with the team already on, on, on some exercises there and, and things and being available for selection. And the other ones are coming along to you, you know. Uh, Techo, uh, we will keep him out from this week's games. Uh, and uh, Joao, the other ones are, are, uh, you know, in a day by day thing. Is it, that I want to be careful too, uh, Julia, with the volume of games, and 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 really just give opportunity to some others if we need. That that's where we are. There you go. It's not much of an update, but it it's it's an update nonetheless. Yeah, it's. Um... I think my main takeaway from this is that we still don't know what's going on with IAS. Um, I get that the pandemic may have caused some irregularities in how the transfer process goes, but the fact that he is now in the country and has been in the process of working with doctors for the last couple of weeks is certainly concerning. I, I will say that I have been told that it is not a pre-existing injury that is causing the delay. It is just medical process that that is what i've been told it's still very vague well i mean we still don't know the actual injuries that uh that uri or antonio carlos or yeah yeah, they're they're just like hey they picked up a knock or it's it's you know they're they're doing better they haven't actually said hey this this was a hamstring injury they'll be out a couple weeks 
right. it's, it's kind of hard these days to get a, a full-on answer from the club since basically COVID hit. We haven't really gotten enough like full-on like injury report with actual injuries. It's just been like undisclosed injuries. I mean, Tesho in the in the last game, he was on the injury report with an undisclosed injury. <laughs> like, it, you know, yeah, it's hard. I, it's hard to be able to try and discern how healthy or how hurt this team is when it's just an undisclosed injury. Like, uh, there's no benefit to holding back what it is. So, like, I wonder if part of it's just that the comms team does not have regular access to the players, I imagine. Cause it, is, it is very possible that that happened. I think there was a bit of a miscommunication. Um, a couple weeks ago when Uri was first out, I remember I texted the comms staff and said, hey, are, are, what's going on? Are they hurt? Are they resting or what? And they texted me back saying they're resting. And then I remember you messaged me during the game to say Evans said they picked up a knock and they were injured. So I asked Oscar after the game, like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, they, they picked up a bit of a knock. And, you know, Udi is, is, is hurt and, you know, he's he's going to work his way back into the training facility, you know, team. So I, I think it was I mean, just a- clearly someone does have information there, too. If, if the broadcast knows one thing that the rest of us don't know. So, I mean, like all right. around, well, it's the, very this, it's it's frustrating because I think the team the team is working in a certain way where they're not all in the office at the same time. Uh, you know, some people are working virtually. Their office uh, desks are spaced out and like different parts of the stadium. So it becomes an issue maybe to, to get a full line of communication going. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So I'll 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 chalk it up to COVID problems um, until I can you know say otherwise. But <laughs> I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Now. Tough stretch of games coming up for Orlando City. They have this game coming up tomorrow against Atlanta. Then they have the game right after that against Columbus. It's probably the biggest game of the year. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know about you, but I feel like that is probably going to be the biggest game of this stretch. I think for good or bad, it's going to tell us a lot about Orlando City's ability to actually not just maybe win whatever we're going to call this supporter shield but actually compete in the playoffs yep it's i mean it's uh, like just the the hardest stretch possible though because they got four games in two weeks wednesday sunday wednesday sunday oh yeah no this is the exact moment where you want to have depth in your squad and unfortunately orlando does not exactly have that at the moment. So, so this, this is this is tough. where this is where the summer hits yeah like mid-season it's always seems to be a mid-season like injury bug for Orlando City and this technically is mid-season for them right now that's uh, more like two-thirds of the season but whatever there's always some point in the season where the depth gets tested uh the the whole team has been preaching the next man up mentality which is good but until it's seen on the field we can't say that that is the case the nice yeah. thing is that out of the next four games, two of four are at home, and there are two back-to-back games at home against Columbus and New York, arguably two of the harder opponents to face. Yeah, compared to say Atlanta or the Red Bulls, um, I would say the Red Bulls are probably tougher. The Red Bulls it, are much better than it. I think they had won I, what two in a row coming into that game. So yeah, and I think that game at Red Bull Arena is going to be really tough for Orlando because. Think about it. They'll be they'll have played three games in what eleven days to that point? No, twelve days. What did I write? I I think their entire schedule, the last nine games, was about was getting ready to take place in the span of like thirty seven days. Like yeah. that's, that's that's a ridiculous. lot of soccer in a very so, short period of time. When you're going up to the Red Bulls to play their press on tired legs, boy, that might that might get ugly actually. And now by that point they they should have Sebas back. They should have hopefully Rossell back. They should have Huan back. Like all these day-to-day guys should be back at that point, but you know, yeah, it's still going to be tough. Yeah, I mean let, let me let me think about this. 
Uri's first game that he actually missed. That was uh, September 12th against Miami. So it, it's possible he got hurt sometime between the 5th and the 12th. We're approaching a month between his knock that he picked up and he's almost back. If he's almost back, it usually doesn't take a month to come back. And it's usually not a knock. Yeah. It's something much more serious. That's yeah. all I'll say about that. And it does kind of lead to... This is where like the whole secrecy thing, if that's what their ultimate goal is, becomes very annoying for us. Where like it's hard for the media, not that I'm going to call us media, but it's hard for people to analyze these things properly and give the right coverage to these clubs when they can't even tell us basic information. I don't know about you, man, but I'm definitely media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as like our podcast is concerned, you know, oh we well, yeah, the, the yeah. pod the podcast is borderline media, I would say, because yeah. we. You know, we still report like facts and stuff, and yeah, we, yeah, we break fair. news occasionally. We, we do, um, we do write stories based on. But I would say, I mean, like, quotes and yeah, consider like we're both still considered media. I think more me than you just now because I'm there day to day covering the team. Yeah, you know, we've both been paid to cover this team in one way or another. Mm-hmm. I would say that still constitutes us as media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. We've been here since day one. Oh, MLS day one. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say yeah, yeah. you were you were still in high school in in Orlando City day one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah How old were you in 2011? I'd rather not comment. <laughs> put it to, well, hold on. Let me put it to you this oh. way: Were you actually did you have a driver's license when Orlando City existed in 2011? I'd rather not comment. On that. <laughs> Uh, Gavin. You know, people will take me more seriously if they don't know how old I am. <laughs> if you that. say so. Yeah. <laughs> Age is just a number, Gavin. It means yeah, nothing. that's true. The only thing that matters is when you start to feel old. That's when it starts to suck. It started to feel old a while ago. Eh. Age is a number and a state of mind. When I when I suffered a nice aching back spasm a couple months ago just for walking around that's when i started to feel old uh yes yeah that killed me for a couple days gotta love it when you can't stand comfortably for no reason former former athletes have a they they age in certain ways differently than others i I wouldn't necessarily consider ourselves athletes but we did play (laughs) like high school sports I think it's also fair, level. like when you when you consider these people who, for the most part, especially nowadays, are constantly working on their health, working on their bodies, keeping themselves in shape. Right, but when you as soon what as is you the stop most doing that, that, as soon oh, as you yeah. stop doing that, you, you're fucked. <laughs> oh yeah, no, like believe me, from from the baseball days when I was constantly at practice, running, nonstop, like as a pitcher, like we do more running than anybody. Than mm-hmm. like you know, even just a year later, like I. I'm not fat, but like I definitely am <laughs> probably gained at least a nice chunk of poundage since I've stopped yeah. playing baseball. I mean, after I graduated college, like I was I was in the gym every single day in college, you know, for for basketball practice and I could dunk at one point. <laughs> and now I I just I can't. Like my knees hurt, my back hurts. I I put on weight to the point where I can't I can still grab the rim, but not as much as I used to be able to, and it yeah, sucks. I, I used to have a decent sixty-yard time, and I don't even want to know. It's probably <laughs> doubled down at this try. point. Yeah. All right. Enough about us. Let's wrap up Orlando City talk. I want to talk about the City ID moniker kits. I don't know if you saw those. They're pretty neat. Um, they're basically the nicknames of some of the players, and you know the jerseys that coincide with them. Got a little bit of flair to them. So the for Pedro Galese, they got El Pulpo on the back with like an octopus going around the number one. For Chris Mueller, they got cash with a bunch of money flying around it. Uh, they've got Urso, the bear, uh, with an actual bear on there. We didn't get the accountant, though. We did not. 
it's a it's a very unfortunate uh, misstep from Orlando. We got the Flash for Huan, which, sure, I don't know anyone who calls him the Flash like in normal context, but yeah. he's he's definitely fast and he deserves <laughs> the nickname. But like, I don't think we've ever called him Flash. Like we've called Chris Mueller Cash. Yeah. And then uh, Nani is Capital, but they put it upside down. And then there's like Portuguese flag and everything. Eh. Also, uh, breaking Brian Rowe news, he shaved his stash. Brian Rowe had a stash? Boy, did he have a stash. <laughs> MLS is back. Some people were calling him a Sasha Question wannabe. No joke. Yeah, you can't, you can't copy Question. But I mean, he he tried. <laughs> he he definitely tried. Um, I'm gonna send you a picture, just just for the sake of you being able to see it. Go ahead and look at that while we we move on to the uh, Orlando Pride. Here. Ooh, that is that's what I look like with a mustache. Hmm. Bring back the Gavin mustache days. No. <laughs> no more Uncle Gav. Yeah. He he's dead. Uncle Good. Gav is dead. Good. All right. Uh we'll post that for our listeners on Twitter uh some point later in the day so that you folks can see what Brian Rowe with a mustache looks like. Cuz it is something. But he's not I think he shaved it because he's like, "Oh, well, now I'm actually going to be on TV. I should probably shave this thing. I should look like people will take me seriously." <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, you know, the quarantine stash. Everyone had one. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to the Orlando Pride, because we spent tons of time on the Orlando City side. Uh, there's not much to say between last week and this week because there hasn't been any movement uh, when it comes to the team. They uh, will be playing this weekend. Well, not this weekend per se, but Friday, uh, their first home game in over a year. And it's not even at home. It's out uh, out in Kissimmee at Osceola County Stadium, where OCB plays. So uh, a converted baseball field. Uh, I'm kind of excited because this will be my first time going over there to see a game there. Uh, I don't believe that they are able to have fans, but they are having media. So I will take as many pictures as I possibly can and to show what the OCB Stadium looks like. Because I'm genuinely curious as what it looks like. Um, But yeah, so not much news for the Pride other than they'll probably have their full contingent of players this time. Sid LaRue and Kristen Edmonds are back with the team training, and they will most likely feature in the match because they don't have to travel this time, which is good. Yeah. Very good indeed. And I'm sure we'll hear from Mark Skinner at some point later this week, or probably on Wednesday, actually. They usually do a, a... press conference two days before the game so probably wednesday is when we'll hear from mark skinner uh you can follow my twitter account as well as the uh orlando soccer journal osj soccer for the preview of the game where you'll hear from mark skinner and his comments on there now on to ocb those guys they're they're still playing uh barely uh (laughs) they've they've only got a couple games left they're coming off another shutout loss to Greenville. To be fair, Greenville is the best team in the league right now. They've won 10 of their 13 games played. Meanwhile, Orlando has won one of their 11. Uh, They've lost four of their last five. They are, for all accounts, the worst team in USL. They've got five games left. And then it's over. That it's over. Then it's over. I could honestly see. So the the season for OCB ends October twenty fourth. For the last stretch of games for Orlando City, if they are to, at a certain point in the season where they could like use some extra players on like short term loans or something, I could see them possibly bringing up some players. Maybe like a, a Michael Holiday pr- recalling him from o- OCB loan, just to have some depth on the team. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, 
I would say, like, out of all the players that have played for OCB this season, I would say that the one player that has been kind of disappointing, I, I would have to go with Austin Aviza, which is Orlando's draft pick in the MLS Super Draft. I feel like he's he's shipped more goals than he should. Granted, this is his first professional year, but he's got other kids that are 19, 18, 17 years old outplaying him. You know, they're playing they're playing like they look like professionals and Austin Avisa sometimes doesn't. It sucks, but it, it's the truth. Like he's he's literally passed the ball to the opponents in certain times. He's given up on goals. He's he's just had a lot of uh, unfortunate errors to this point. But there are some players that are definitely like Potential-wise, looking good. It's just hard to see when all you see are losses. Um, and just like last year for OCB, when the results don't come, it, it becomes a bit frustrating. And, you know, if all you know as a professional is losing, it's hard to, cu- to cultivate a winning mentality. So being around the first team with Oscar Pereja, I think, can help quite a bit with that mentality, especially with the, the veteran players around that team. But I think this year is just kind of a wash. You try and go again next year now that you've got some guys with some experience under their belts. But uh, at this point, just see out the rest of the season. Orlando's got to figure something out. You know, they, they can build a future around youth all they want, but if that academy or if that essentially second team is not – gonna do what it's gotta do then you know it's gonna it's gonna hamper the process yep and well you know what they say about the process you must trust it exactly trust the process all right last thing i wanted to talk about from the world of soccer since we 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 spent so much time talking about orlando city we'll just spend some time talking about this one last thing because i feel like it isn't kind of important to talk about uh, the situation in USL Championship with the San Diego Loyal. Gavin, I don't know how familiar you are with this situation, but it is definitely a worthwhile talking point. It was Phoenix Rising against San Diego Loyal. And one of the players from Phoenix called Colin Martin, who, who was the first openly gay, or not the first openly gay, but one of the more recent openly gay MLS players who came out when he was playing with Minnesota, a derogatory slur. So after at, at halftime, I think Colin Martin was given a red card. He, he said something to the referee. The referee rescinded the red card, but then Lyndon Donovan, who had just gotten gone through the situation the, the week prior with the LA Galaxy 2, where one of his African-American players was racially abused, and then that, that player that did the abuse was subsequently let go from the team. Um, he just went through it a week before. So at halftime, he meets with the referees and the coach of Phoenix Rising, and they have a conversation where they say, you know, Landon basically says, hey, take this player off the field. And the coach for Phoenix says, no, uh, just play the game. Like he basically said, it's, you know, it's all part of the game, which wasn't a good look. And considering that ESPN released the unedited footage of that conversation, because they had the uh, the rights to that footage as well as the audio, even worse look. <laughs> uh, and you could see, you know, because the fact that San Diego came out and said, "Hey, we're we're gonna leave. We're not playing the rest of the game if you don't take him off." And he's like, "I'm not taking him off." And he's like, "All right, then we forfeit." And they did. And then Elena Donovan the next day came out with a five-minute statement explaining everything, and then ESPN dropped the video to back up that statement. Just not a good look for Phoenix or USL Championship either. Yeah, the response is poor. And listen, Landon, first of all, you know, the biggest props to Landon Donovan, who is, like you said, they just went through this a week ago Mm -hmm. where they're dealing with racial abuse. And now they're going through another incident with homophobia and He's right. None of this belongs in the game. You know, the big thing in soccer right now is um, to say no to racism and, and to do all these things like that. Mm-hmm. Because that is a big problem globally, not just in the U.S., obviously. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes beyond that. Hate, bigotry, homophobia, racism, all of these things, any kind of discrimination does not have any place in soccer, should not have any place in soccer, should not be welcome at all. You know, soccer is a global game. It is as global a sport there is. It should be as accepting a sport there is for all kinds of, all forms of life, all walks of humanity should be able to come in and enjoy and be a part of and sing hand in hand and arm in arm with each other for that. That's one of the reasons why I love soccer because everyone can be included. Right. So I, I do. I do want to point out something. Because of the forfeit that San Diego Loyal chose to take rather than the 3-1 win that they would have gotten if they had seen out the final 45 minutes, they're out of the playoffs. If yeah. they if they had taken that result all the way through and won 3-1, they overtake LA Galaxy 2 for the second spot in Group B, and they make the playoffs on goal differential. Yeah, and that shows ultimately just how much this means to that team. And they were... Winning three to one against the top team, one of the top teams in the league, and that is, is something that's hard to swallow. Is do we see this through and do we take that result, or do we really show who we are as a club, as a team, and stand up to this? And that's what they did. And like you, it's hard to not respect Landon Donovan any more than than I I do for that moment. And he's already a legend. <laughs> yeah, and you know the fact that. <laughs> You know the the how long have you played soccer comment just obviously you know stands out on its own for just the ass hattery for Phoenix Rising's coach his name's what Rick Sanchez I believe to to go out and ask Landon Donovan how long he's been playing soccer is just asinine but listen you know player you shouldn't have to go out there as a soccer player, regardless of whether you're white, black, Latino, straight, gay, like no matter what, and be subject to abuse because of that in a Mm. game. It's ridiculous. It's pathetic that all he had to do was take the player out. That should have been like, all right, yeah, fine. You know, I agree with you. That that does not belong on this team. It does not belong on this field. I'm going to take the player out. We'll have a conversation with them, and I can promise you it's never going to happen again. But to defend those actions and to stand your ground and double down on keeping him in the game, that's pathetic. And I really hope that Phoenix Rising does. Listen, you know, I don't. I'm not going to say that he deserves to lose his job over this, but there there needs to be something more to that. Yeah, and and it's not even just Rick Chance. It's also Chance. Junior Flemings who was the player that said it, and they know he was the one who said it. And there's, as far as I understand it, not been any punishment for that to this point. So there was yeah. there was uh, like there was the the racial abuse that was dealt with swiftly, and now the anti-gay abuse that has been just nothing to this point. Yeah, and that's certainly worth noting, and we'll see what happens from there. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're saying that you're essentially saying that homophobia, listen, racism and homophobia are not good at all. I don't, they should be taken on level terms as serious together, um, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, Phoenix Rising also tweeted out a video yesterday or two days ago now. Uh, with a lot of like uh, rainbow flags in the background, I'm just like, uh, yeah, yeah. you know. And I'm okay for all of the reasons that I listed earlier. You know, soccer is that sport that is the one that takes this stuff seriously. Soccer is the sport above all that promotes equality among all sexes and races and, and things like that, and other sports. They join in and they they do the things for Gay Pride Month and stuff like that. But I think soccer is the one sport that really goes to the next level to to treat these athletes like they are as they should be human beings. You know, um, especially with women's soccer as dominated by um, by same sex couples and things like that. Obviously, with the pride here in Orlando between with Ali Krieger and and Ashlyn Harris alone, like you know, how many others? 
what other sport in the world, no other sport in this country, if you had two teammates married, <laughs> would that be considered normal? But in soccer, it is. And that's kind of the standard that should be followed around here. I mean, like, for Christ's sakes, there's a player, Michael Sam, comes out and he's out of the league in a couple of years, not really through his own fault, but because it's a distraction and you can't get away from that. The, you know, the media couldn't get away from that. The fans couldn't get away from that. Yeah. Uh, also, apparently, Junior Fleming's has deleted his account. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just a very, <laughs> very <sighs> yeah. tough situation. So, Seems um, like a fair point to wrap up. Yeah. That That's going to do it for us here at the Orlando Soccer Show. You can follow us on Twitter. Myself at AustinDavid22. Gavin at Gavin Eubank. You can also follow all of our social medias for the show and the soccer journal at ORL Soccer Show and OSJ Soccer. So with that, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week after we have two games, one against Atlanta and the other against Columbus. Big games coming up for Orlando City. We'll see you then. Big games. Bye-bye.